Hi, Jazz. Hi, Lulav. So it's been kind of a hard week. So instead of asking you things that are cool and queer and Jewish, what if I just asked you how many times you cried this week? Oh, man. I'm not sure what a normal human number of cryings is. So can you calibrate that for me by answering first? How many times have you cried this week? This is a fair question. I'm not going to help your calibration because I was trying to figure out the answer to this before recording. And I think... Uh Uh-oh. I think the answer was four or five this week. Not 100% sure. Okay. This is also a low rating in that I was like, well... If it was this one, and then I stopped crying, but then started crying about the same thing, I shouldn't count them as separate ones. No, you should. Mostly because I couldn't figure out how to do that. In that case, the number is like much higher, and also I don't know what it is. (laughs) Four to 15. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm at three, which in Lulav Cries is like 15. Uh (laughs) Uh, It's just that kind of week. However, there have been bright spots, right? So why don't you tell me something that is cool and queer or Jewish? Okay. Well, the best part of my week was that last weekend I went cabin camping with my roommates. And my roommates are great. They are Tori the Hawk and Emily. And... We went to a cabin somewhere in New Jersey. My mother keeps asking me, where did you go? And all I have is somewhere in New Jersey. (laughs) And we brought both of their dogs, Remy and Princess. I will link to both of their Instagrams so you can go follow them, (laughs) listeners. I didn't know they had Instagrams. Both of them do. They are rat underscore dog underscore Remy and Sesprin the Chug. I think there are underscores between those letters too, but Sesprin Say that as one more time. Sesprin as in princess, but flipped. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. And we dressed them up in costumes and it was great. Remy makes a great stegosaurus. I <laughs> needed a little coat for princess unrelated to her Yoda costume and normally she hates being put in clothes, even though she gets cold very frequently. So we do put her in clothes, but she liked mine better. And it was great. Oh, that's nice. But my actual Jewish aspect of this is that the place we were at did not have a stove, but it did have a fire pit outside. And mm-hmm. on Saturday night, we made a big fire. If any of my roommates are listening, do not contradict me on the big part of the fire. We made a perfectly reasonably sized fire. Mm-hmm. And listen, it's 2020. Moderation in fire building seems like a good idea. Yeah, you know. (laughs) And I did a little Havdalah thing at one point over the fire. I miss prayer. I don't do great Mm. at solitary prayer, but I really miss being able to like put 30 people in a room and have us sing together (laughs) on a Friday night before Shabbos. Yeah. And since that's like not a thing I can do now and haven't been able to do for many months and don't foresee being able to do for at the very least many months. It was nice to have this as like a little approximation. People who are lovely and wonderful. Yeah. And they would not forgive me. I don't think if I didn't mention the other distinguishing part of the weekend, but I need to stress that this was neither cool nor queer nor Jewish. But we did at one point while we were arriving drive into the wrong driveway and a man came out of the house with a gun and mostly only helpfully shouted directions at us to say we were in the wrong driveway, but was holding a gun the whole time. And it was very alarming. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure. It was alarming. No, yeah, that wasn't sarcastic. Okay. Listen, I've been around guns before. I, in fact, have a rifle shooting merit badge from the Redacted Scouts. Wild. Yeah, and the range instructor told us some horror stories about kids who didn't know what they were doing and were just, like, swinging guns around and almost took off some people's heads before. So, yeah. 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 Hopefully the first thing you learn about guns is to never point them at other people. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, don't. 
<laughs> just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't voluntarily really spend a lot of time around men with guns. Like, mm-hmm. there are people and friends in my life who know how to use guns. I don't think any of them are men. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Does this have anything to do with the general demographics of people who are in your life? Well, I have friends who are men who are in my mm-hmm. life. Just none of them use guns. Okay. <laughs> I probably have cool. fewer people who are men in my circles than I do of other genders, but like a decent number, I would say. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Unlike you. Oh, yes. Totally unlike me. Me with all of the... Oh, you're saying I have none. Yes. Okay. That's approximately true. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't quite get the lay of the land gender-wise, but there was a birthday party this weekend for Shahar. Yeah. And that was really fun. And yeah, Shahar was just in Quebec with all of the people in their bubble just over at their house. And they had a Zoom call with their friends who aren't in Quebec, which was mostly the people that we play League of Legends with and also Jazz. I don't play League of Legends. <laughs> yes. Also, Shahar did not initially invite me to their birthday party because they weren't sure if we were friends. And then we got to clarify that we were friends. Yeah. I facilitated that because I'm pretty sure that Jazz just wouldn't have been at Shahar's birthday if I hadn't been like, hey, do you want to come to the birthday? Hey, Shahar, is Jazz invited? (laughs) I was very dubious of the strategy. You were like, should I ask Shahar? And I looked up at my roommates and I was like, how do I tell Lulav she shouldn't do that? (laughs) (laughs) And then we got to have a small conversation and I got advice from my roommates and then eventually was able to be like, okay, but casually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what did they say? I want to know the wisdom of the sages. Okay, they disagreed. Uh Uh-huh. And Tori was like, well, I think you could do it if you did so carefully. And Emily was just like shaking her head like, you could, but I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Or I probably got the intonation right. You could, but I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) good hi emily the hawk wasn't there because she is gone for a whole month and we miss her oh that's so weird anyway did you have fun at your birthday party yes i did have fun played some jackbox games and then everybody like collectively decided that they were like too out of it to play jackbox games and so we just chatted for a little bit and like signed off one by one nice yeah it was really nice, and it was good to see Shahar surrounded by people who really like them. Yeah. It was also very funny because at one point they were like, oh no, I have so many friends, we're going to have to actually rotate who's playing the games. <laughs> and that's a good problem to have, I think. It is a good problem to have. <laughs> Should we tell them our Jackbox names and then get started? <laughs> yes. I want to point out that I was trying to win a single game of Magic the Gathering, and after, like, an eight-game losing streak, I finished, but this was about 20 minutes into the party. So Jazz was the first one to put their name down, and they are... Fave Pod Host. Which was a bold move, very impressive, and so <laughs> I went with Cute Pod Host. <laughs> um... <laughs> But I couldn't go, like, two seconds without being like, I mean, it's not a very specific name, but... It was adorable. Thank you. Anyway, I maintain that this is very similar to when we ran a Twitter poll that asked our followers whether they best liked our queer host or our Jewish host. Mm-hmm. And on that note, Lulav, are you ready to start the episode? What episode? Are we doing a podcast? Oh my god, we're doing a podcast! One, two, three, four! Yeah, the rain of the
Welcome to Kosher Queers, a podcast with at least two Jews and generally more than three opinions. Each week we bring you queer takes on Torah, their jazz, and she's Lulav, and we're here to joke about Judaism and talk Tanakh together. Today, our Chavuta is learning the longest half Torah that we've had ever. Like, even when we were doing Parshas, because we have not only an entire book of Obadiah, but also the approximately one chapter of Hosea from just before last week's reading. So that's Hosea 11.7 to 12.12. Okay, in fairness, Obadiah is the shortest book in the whole Tanakh. Yes, but if you measure in books, (laughs) this is so long. Obadiah has one chapter, which has like... (laughs) 21 lines. Yeah. (laughs) It's very funny. I was scrolling to the bottom of the chapter for Safaria, and I was like, why isn't more text showing up? Is there... (laughs) Oh no, there's only one chapter of this. (laughs) Yeah, it is very short. So do you have feelings about Obadiah and Hosea? I do, but before we get to those, could you summarize... Last year's Parsha for us. Okay, this is going to be really tight, but give me 75 seconds. It's a long one this week. Mm-hmm. All right. Ready, set, go. The golden boy, now a golden man, leaves last week's acrimonious breakup with his father-in-law and braces for an acrimonious homecoming with his brother. Yaakov recites his own rags-to-riches story as a pep talk to himself, then decides to overcompensate for his guilt with gifts. Anticipating death, he secrets his family away across the river. But on his way back, he learns the very Jewish technique of holding two truths simultaneously— In this case, though, holding truths is a euphemism for holding hips, like his busted one, and the hip of the dude he's fighting in the middle of nowhere who is maybe himself. Regardless, he gets the name Yisrael. In the morning, he limps up to his brother, who is absolutely blown away by the fact that he's an uncle and tries to assert that he is the hosting top in this familial relationship. After a top-off, Yisrael wins because, oh no, it's fine, we'll just get a hotel and see you tomorrow for lunch. Dina, yes, I too forgot that Yisrael had daughters, has an interaction of questionable consent with a local, and her weirdly overprotective brothers murder everyone in the town after the townsfolk all get simple genital plastic surgery to fit in with the locals. The family has a fun religious retreat, as though they didn't just participate in genocide together, then Rachel dies in childbirth, and the son she named with her dying breath gets... A different name on his birth certificate. Yitzhak also bites it, though at a more reasonable age, and Esau moves to Adam and makes a bunch of descendants. Wow, I misjudged that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's okay. Great summary. (laughs) Thank you. I try. Also, this is a good Parsha. Yeah. This was the one where you had a very big guest episode. It's the only Kosher Queers episode that I haven't been in. Yeah. This was the one that my family came on. You can go listen to it. It's called Mothers, Brothers, and Angels, Oh My. Something like that. Something <laughs> like that. It's Vayishlach. Don't hold me to that. Also, I just told the story of Yisrael getting his new name via this wrestling contest in the middle of the night as a Halloween story to my third graders that was like loosely connected to our naming unit about Jewish names, Mm -hmm. and also loosely related to the fact that I have learned, having now had a little bit more experience teaching, that you can't lessons near Halloween that are not Halloween-themed because children (laughs) cannot focus on them. Good. Also, if you haven't read Daniel Lavery's book, Something That May Shock and Discredit You, he's got some very fun stuff about this renaming. (laughs) Love, I don't remember if you got far enough into the book. I may have. The thing is, Danny Lavery is constantly talking about, like, Christian Bible stuff, uh-huh. which I am familiar with, but also having spent over a year doing specifically Torah study, mm-hmm. it's wild to, like, come back to that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there is a couple good pieces. My best guess, though I'm not certain, Lulav, is that you read the first one, but not the second one. Mm. And one is about the renaming itself, and the (laughs) other is about other people reacting to the naming. 
Okay. The naming itself was maybe in that one chapter about, this is not a trans memoir, (laughs) where he basically says over and over again that it is a trans memoir, even though it's definitely not. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Maybe that was referred to slightly, but no, these are a couple of pieces of fiction, both of them that I'm referring to. Mm, Okay. Anyway, excellent. I recommend them. So, Lulav, how does Vaishlach connect to the Haftarah reading? Well, it's stuff that we've talked about before with Edom getting the short end of the stick. Mm -hmm. This is another one where I'm like, why exactly did they choose this one? Because I can think of other parashat that would have gone so much better with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the stuff here is odd, I gotta say, because it's a lot about how thoroughly rifled is Esau and how ransacked his hordes. And like, there really isn't anything in this week's Parsha about that. It is much more about like, hey, these brothers are meeting up again after a long time away. And that time away tempered a lot of the acrimony that they had towards each other. Mm -hmm. And like, they are maturely interacting, even though they can't live in the same place because their households are like, each a thousand people big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, this just seems like an interesting Parsha to be tying to the Haftarah because it is very much about backstabbing, very much about like, hey, this bad stuff happened, so this other bad stuff is going to happen. Mm. Say more about that, about how you're reading that. I mean, I think this is metonymy, I guess for the northern kingdom of Israel, because... You don't think it's for the Edomites? Well, tell me a little bit about the context then. Like, how are the Edomites related here? Well, okay, so my understanding is that the Edomites are like a neighboring group. And Mm -hmm. the history of that is that they were not always allies of the Jewish kingdoms. So mm-hmm. in particular, there's this note that when Nebuchadnezzar II sacked Jerusalem and carted away the king of Judea, Edom assisted the Babylonians in looting the city. Oh, okay. So this is during Babylonian times. Yeah. Obadiah is a later prophet. Okay. Like Jeremiah and Ezra, I think. And I think that partly because Obadiah is mentioned in Jeremiah and I believe in Ezra. Okay. So... You said that Edom has at times been at odds with the kingdoms of Israel. And I just want to point out that, like, the kingdoms of Israel were at odds with the kingdoms of Israel for longer than they were the same thing. Absolutely true. (laughs) The other thing that I think it's worth noting as a point of connection is who Obadiah is, which I will note that there is some debate about. (laughs) Not internal to Judaism precisely, but Obadiah is a figure who shows up right here in the Tanakh, but then also the Talmud. And I believe that Christians, Jews, and Muslims all have interpretations of who Obadiah is. And we don't have all that much information about him. Again, it's a very short book. And also, Obadiah counts as a title, right? Kind of the way that, um, what was the other one? Malachi. Yes. Obadiah is spelled in Hebrew as... Ein vet dalid yud hey, and if you separate that out, that ein vet dalid, that's the root that means like work, and the yud hey is sometimes a thing that indicates God, and so this means like one who works for God. Yeah. The prophecy of God's secretary. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Great pen name. (laughs) It's also like a name, like other people have this name. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that's relevant, potentially, is Obadiah does show up in some earlier books, in Kings in particular, Hmm. and he has a tactic that he uses, which is the same tactic that Yisrael uses here, of taking half of the party and putting them in one place and half in another place in case something happens to them. Okay, that's a really nice poll. Where'd you get that from? It's in Kings 1814, and I looked up where Obadiah shows up in other texts. Oh, that's so much fun. So that that really makes me feel like these aren't the same 
Obadiah? Wait, Obadiot? Obadiah? Whatever. That these aren't the same guys? Why? Because weren't there like 12 kings in between the end of the Book of Kings and the Babylonian captivity? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how exactly the historical stuff works out there. (laughs) I'm choosing not to think about it that hard, partially because I don't know enough to answer that question well. But the other thing that I would note is that the Talmud traditionally in Sanhedrin notes about like who Obadiah is and different rabbis put forward different things. And they said in particular that he feared the Lord greatly, which is similar to how Avraham is described, but Mm -hmm. actually is even more so than how Avraham is described. Avraham doesn't have the greatly in there. Oh, interesting. But Obadiah is not allowed to be particularly blessed because he comes from a cursed line of people. (laughs) And they're like, well, where does he come from? And they say part of the reason he's so great is that he lived among wicked people and came from wicked people and didn't become wicked like them. So the people who were persecuting them such that they had to hide in a cave, Mm -hmm. he came from the persecutors and instead went to the I will help hide people in caves side, which is to say one of the students of Rabbi Meir says Obadiah was a convert from the Edomites. Okay, that tracks. (laughs) So you said that he showed up in 2 Kings chapter 18 something? I think 1 Kings. Oh, okay. Then... I do not know, because apparently First Kings is the Elijah cycle. Yeah, Elijah is in here. Obadiah and Elijah meet and have a very funny back and forth in First Kings 18.7. Mm-hmm. Obadiah was on the road when Elijah suddenly confronted him. Obadiah recognized him and flung himself on his face saying, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And Elijah is like, please tell the Edomite, I think, Ahab, who I guess Obadiah is still with at that point, that I'm here and I want to talk to him. And Obadiah is like, you will get me killed. You will get yourself (laughs) killed. Why? Stop it. They're looking for you. You are like walking right into the people who have been trying to kill you. Why are you here? Go away. And now you (laughs) want me to announce you? And Elijah is just like, go tell him I'm here and I want to meet with him. Wild. Uh, And then Obadiah goes and tells him he's here and he goes to meet with him. (laughs) So everything you mention isn't part of the reading that we're doing for today, but also really connects to the Parsha because like upon seeing each other, Yaakov flung himself to the ground and bowed seven times and called his brother Lord. Mm -hmm. And he also was like, Ah, I feel like there's going to be death here. And then it was fine. Yeah. So it's interesting that like by choosing the book of Obadiah, which contains none of that. None of it. We are also talking about all of these things that actually do tie into the Parsha very well. Right. Those all feel connected in the way that the Parsha, which is just yelling about the Edomites, (laughs) does not feel as directly connected. But you can't have a Haftarah that quotes Talmud. That's not how the Haftarah works. It has to come from Nevi'im or Ketuvim. So you could have it come from First Kings, and it is interesting that they didn't, but instead they went this route of hearing the actual words Obadiah said when he's given his own pen. It's like the difference between journalism about an important person and like reading essays that they wrote to see what they believed. (laughs) And both of those, to be clear, can be like important ways about learning about somebody cool, but they serve different purposes. Yeah. Also, I don't know if I was like clear enough on this. Not only are we not reading 1 Kings chapter 18 this week, we are not reading it this season. Yeah, it's not in our Haftarah cycle. So now that we are a goodly ways into the episode, do you want to talk about the actual writings of Obadiah? Yeah. But in some ways, I think it's very straightforward. It's very funny to me, actually, that the translation is so dramatic. Like, the JPS one on Safaria has this thing that's like, we have received tidings from the Lord. And I am admittedly not a great scholar of Hebrew and whatever, but to Mm -hmm. me, it sort of says, and the Lord God said to me the following. So when you are like, it's God's secretary, it does in fact feel to me that the tone is a little bit more like serious, but it's like, 
a little bit more secretarial. Mm-hmm. Then we have received tidings. <laughs> wait, wait, where is that coming from? I don't see it. So what's the thrust of the extremely long Book of Obadiah? It is that the Edomites are bad and will be hated and destroyed and they have arrogant hearts and humans might hurt you, but they could never hurt you as much as God could. (laughs) Your allies will desert you. Everything will vanish. Your fighters will lose their courage. And then there's this thing that alludes to the thing I was talking about earlier. That's like, when people came in and took Jerusalem, you stood aside. You looked at it happily. And that's where it gets kind of most agitated. Mm -hmm. And uses words like, Achicha, your brother. Like, how could you do this to us? Jazz, is this a particularly emotionally mature reaction? (laughs) Well, I think it's debatable. (laughs) That's fair. I agree. What were you going to say? Just like, it is remarkable to me, not like silly or of grave importance either, But it is remarkable to me that in the middle of being conquered by the Babylonians, the message that comes up is, hey, why are you specifically dunking on us? Well, that doesn't seem very fair to me. That, like, there's a certain part that's like, hey, you should have been our allies fighting for us. And you just, like, deserted us. And I do think there is something to be said for, like, hey... These people came in and conquered us and we had nothing and you laughed at us and like, no, the forces of justice will come down on your heads and we don't need you. Go away. Okay, so who in this Parsha is Debbie Wasserman Schultz? (laughs) Kicking it back to 2016. Why are we doing that? (laughs) We don't have to. Are you suggesting that she is the Edomites? I'm not sure. I can't tell if this is a kind of petulant thing like, why weren't you fighting on our side? Well, you like explicitly did not allow us in your lands. And we've kind of been enemies for centuries, even though we're vaguely related in the same way that like the power core of the Democratic Party constantly sees like leftism as the greatest existential threat and shuts leftists out of power and then blames them when they lose elections. But there is also the thing that's like, hey, if you are ostensibly some of the good guys, you should be doing good guys things, not just hamstringing fugitives as they're fleeing. Yeah. So could go either way, frankly. (laughs) So there is, I think, a tension here between what should the Edomites have done? What could they have done to the Babylonians, you know? Um, And because there's this frame of like, my brother... There is this frame of you should have protected us or at the very least shouldn't have profited off of it. And I do think that there is an argument to be made there too. Like, okay, there was going to be some pride thing in the UK. And the UK, as you know, has like really had it in for trans people and particularly like trans women recently. I guess always, but like as a whole thing. And the BBC banned their politics or current affairs reporters from going to this pride event if it was going to have trans rights and trans pride stuff at it. Weird. They were like, that's getting too involved in a political issue. (laughs) And you're supposed to be dispassionate or whatever. Really good example of why pretending to objectivity is a mess and bad. And a defense of whatever the conservative position is. Yes. Sometimes not the conservative position, but usually the conservative position. (laughs) The conservatives have like in recent years sort of staked out a monopoly on claiming their position is the true one with no objectivity. But I do think that at the very least, it supports like the status quo. Right. I meant small c conservative, not like Tories. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the idea that if you hold people's existence and rights up for debate, then what wins by default is the people who already have the power. 
Right. So there was this thing about like, they can go if it's just about gay people and just like a party. But if it feels like a protest or whatever, then they can't go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was like, we already recognize that I guess gay people are people or whatever, as long as they're not protesting. But trans people, not people anyway. (laughs) Woof. Partially the BBC makes that decision because they don't want to stand up to even more powerful people (laughs) who are going to be upset with them. Uh And there is a question here that's like, if the Edomites didn't want to stand up against people more powerful than they Mm. abandoned people who were more marginalized and said, you deal with it. And particularly for Obadiah, if we think of him as like someone who converted out of the Edomites, the analogy is maybe like a trans former BBC reporter, right? Who's like, we don't need the BBC. We need like different kinds of journalism entirely that doesn't pretend to objectivity that just supports the status quo. <laughs> so is Obadiah Gabe Schneider? Aww. He's not <laughs> trans, but that's very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Gabe. Jazz speaks glowingly of you. I don't actually know if you listen to the podcast. Would be shocked. I do not think so. <laughs> okay. My friend Gabe Schneider is, however, a very excellent reporter. You should all go follow him on Twitter if you have Twitter. (laughs) So now that we've talked at length about the thrust of Obadiah, are there any particular lines that really stand out to you? Hmm. Well, are there any that particularly stand up to you? So the reason I asked you if this was an emotionally mature response Uh is line five. If thieves were to come to you, marauders by night, they would steal no more than they needed. If vintagers came to you, they would surely leave some gleanings. How utterly you are destroyed. (laughs) Which is basically to say, like, if people were stealing from you, they wouldn't take anything because you have nothing valuable. (laughs) Which is like, A, a sick burn, and B... So immature. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so not how I read that. Wild. How did you read that? I might be reading it wrong. I don't know that you're reading it wrong, but I read it in kind of the opposite way, which is that I read it as like, look, if thieves were to come to you in your undestroyed state, they would take some stuff from you, but they like probably wouldn't take everything. Like you'd probably have some things left over after the thieves came. And like, Mm. I don't know what a vintager is, actually. (laughs) This says, like, a person who harvests grapes. Oh, okay. Like a vintner, except a vintager. So, does that mean you have nothing worth stealing and your grapes are nasty? No. I mean, maybe in your version, but the thing I was reading was, like, if thieves came, they'd probably take some stuff, but, like, not everything. And similarly, if people came to like harvest things from the field you'd probably still have like little bits left over Mm. but now you've made god angry and so you're gonna have nothing left Mm. worse than thieves you will have so little things left you are utterly destroyed yeah okay the reason i read it the way that i do is like the reason that people steal stuff is because generally they need it. The reason that marauders steal stuff is it has a high resale value mm-hmm. or is otherwise useful to them. For yeah. instance, when I play Morrowind, I open every container and take any health potions, but most things do not have a high enough value density, and so I just leave them where they are. Right. Well, I think that's the implication here. They would only take the valuable things. Right. If they really need health potions, they would maybe take those if you even have some. But they're probably bargain health potions. And those are only worth five gold if you can even sell them for that much. Okay, well, I think if this is saying you will be much more destroyed than if thieves came, it's positing God (laughs) as the ultimate thief. Whoa. Or in other words, God said, be gay, do crime. (laughs) Good. Anything else from Obadiah? No, I don't think so. Okay, tell me about Hosea. So we're doing not all of Hosea, the way we're doing all of Obadiah. We (laughs) talked a little bit about Hosea last week, and we're coming back to it to do actually an earlier section. Yeah, it was literally the next two chapters that we did last week. Right, so this one is chapter 11, line 7, to chapter 12, line 12. And the one we did last week started at chapter 12, verse 13. So it's exactly the bit right before it. Mm. There's this thing about 
God talking about the people. And it's doing kind of a different type of deal. This mm-hmm. is about God deciding not to destroy the people. Mm-hmm. It has a thing about, like, they're being rebellious and not acting properly. But there's this thing that's almost, I don't know, wistful? Like, but how can I give you up? How can I surrender you? How could I make you like these others I have destroyed? <laughs> um and then there's like, I have had a change of heart. All my tenderness is stirred. I will not act on my wrath. Mm-hmm. And then there's like this little snarky aside that's like, I'm God, not a human. Okay. This was the part that I was trying to remember. And I just like scrolled past it multiple times when I was talking about connections to the Parsha. Mm. There's a bit in 12.3 and like 12.5 that is talking about Yaakov. Yeah. The line is, the Lord once indicted Yehuda and punished Yaakov for his conduct, requited him for his deeds. In the womb, he tried to supplant his brother. Grown to manhood, he strove with the divine being. He strove with an angel and prevailed. The other had to weep and implore him. At Bethel, Yaakov would meet him there to commune with him. So is this saying that the wrestling messenger was a punishment? Mm. Or is the punishment of Yaakov other stuff? I think it's other stuff. Okay. I was taught at some point when I was younger that Yaakov's punishment for his trickery of his father in the matter regarding his brother is that his children all tricked him in turn in a matter regarding their brother. That tracks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely this being the Parsha where the struggle with the angel comes in. Yeah, um, I don't fully understand the point that they're making here, I will admit. I don't know either, but here's a line that I really like. Okay. Yet Hashem, the god of hosts, must be invoked as Hashem. And again, no idea what that means, but my interpretation of what that's saying is you call things by the right name. Hmm. Hashem is Hashem. This is so interesting. Have we talked about this before? How Lord of Hosts is a euphemism? Remind me, what is the euphemism for? Armies. It's about what is armies. Yes. And admittedly, like, I am not a biblical grammar person, but I wouldn't have said zichro as invoked. I would have had it as remember. remembered. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm. And I also want to point out the JPS translation has Lord, I was saying Hashem, but it is the yod vav in both places. Yes. I wonder if there's something happening here, because when JPS translates it as he strove with a divine being, that bit is just et Elohim, with God. Mm. And then in the next line, they're more specific about el malach, a messenger, an angel. Okay. And so... I wonder if there's something here to the idea that, like, he fought, but also won, and consequently got a name change as a blessing, and God, as, like, yud heh is the truest name, can have all these other titles, like God of Armies, but also the truest name to, like, remember and hold in your mind is this one. Mm-hmm. And also, this is a name that kind of invokes presence, Mm-hmm. Like, remember that this god is the god. Yeah. And the next line sort of comes back to that. Like, you know, go back to your god to do good and kind and just and all those things. Yeah. Anything else in this bit that you want to talk about? Well, there is this whole thing of like referring to the children of Israel, basically, as birds, mm-hmm. all different kinds of birds. Oh, yeah, the dove imagery? Like sparrows and like doves, who can then settle back into their home. Yeah, that was very evocative. Mm. I was just thinking about having seen some flocks of birds that just like, come out of various nowheres and all just kind of settle in pigeonholes. And I don't know if this is a thing that I have literally seen or I'm just imagining, but... (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. A few years ago, I had a friend who made me watch Upstream Color. Really weird movie. Okay. That does contain a few different shots of 
birds circling around the sky and the main characters watching the birds circling around in the sky and they're just like these cuts to it like interspersed throughout the movie it's experimental sci-fi anyway when it cuts to it the first time i think they're going back and forth and trying to figure out what kind of birds it is and so it comes up a few different times in the movie where they say they could be starlings they could be starlings (laughs) and like that's the thrust of it anyway my friend had titled that the like title of his tumblr blog at the time and it was just like when you went and clicked on it and said they could be starlings that's cool. Okay, so this is the guy who made the movie with the time travel box where it creates a loop bubble? I really could not tell you. It's been several years and I did not like it at the time. <laughs> That's very fair. Anyway, do you have anything else you wanted to say about Hosea? I don't think so. Okay. Then I think we can be done for today. That's the half Torah. Lulav, are we ready then to move on to Rating God's Writing, the segment in which we pick two scales and rate this half Torah based on them? I sure am. Got a little warm up in at the beginning of the episode. Some bonus ratings for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many times of crying would you rate this, Parsha? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. No, that wasn't my real scale. Oh, okay. So if you were a marauder and you were trying to take things of value from this Parsha, would you only take food? And if not, what is the thing of value you do take? I would take some fantastical storybooks to share with some children like the stories of Obadiah hiding people away in the cave that weren't technically in this Haftarah. (laughs) And I would take some really sappy sayings on the wall that (laughs) are like embarrassingly cheesy to have around, Mm -hmm. but probably have a shockingly high resale value because they're so old. Okay. The original Live, Laugh, Love. (laughs) Yeah. That's the good stuff that's in here to some extent is the like, you gotta be kind and just and those things. Mm -hmm. And also I would take some chill animals to get them out of here, like some birds and some lions and etc. I don't know. I liked it, but not that much. There's not that much of value to steel as we've been over, but there is some. It's not that there is no value. It's that, you know, like the analogy that I was saying earlier about like, sometimes there's people who have like done really great things and you read biographies about them and then you read their own words and you're like, hmm, hmm. (laughs) You did great things, I think, but we would not have gotten along. Ooh, love that feeling. So yeah, listeners, do us a solid. If there is like a picture books and platitudes thief going on a thieving spree, do not snitch on jazz. Hey. I'm just saying. So if you were to rate this Parsha with a method of destruction of how something could be utterly destroyed, what method of destruction would you rate this Parsha? Ooh, okay. I would rate it inclusion in a very large anthology where (laughs) most people read other things. Ooh. Which is very meta because Nevi'im is a large anthology. (laughs) We had, I guess still have, a box for short stories or books through bars, and I have had people request them basically never. Oh, really? Like, sometimes you can send short stories. It's just that, like, you can do that easily if they're, like, sci-fi short stories and people ask for sci-fi or whatever. It's not very frequent for people to just say, you know, the thing I'm really craving is short stories. Which, to be honest, feels really fair to me because that is how I read things, too. Like, sometimes I will read short stories, but I'm rarely, like, in a mood to read a short story. It's just, like, sometimes there's an anthology of cool trans sci-fi and I'm like, oh, I like those things. I can do it in short story form. Yeah. I used to read the big sci-fi anthologies that Gardner Desois, I think, Mm -hmm. put together. And... 
Yeah, I really liked just reading a bunch of sci-fi about mm, 40 to 70% of which I had no interest in and like the other stuff of which was really good stories. Uh Uh-huh. There is stuff in this that stands out, but it also is part of a much larger anthology. And Mm -hmm. so you could be forgiven for forgetting that it was in this particular place. Yeah. I think that brings us to our continuity corner. Lulav, I understand we have a couple things this week. Yeah. For our second consecutive continuity corner, we have two things. One via our Twitter DMs from Zoe at the Stony Field on Twitter. Zoe says, Hi, new listener of your podcast this cycle and loving it. I don't know if you care about corrections. We do. But in this episode, Lulav said that the second temple was only standing from about 20 BCE to 70 CE, which is roughly when the bigger renovations by Herod were standing. But from what I've read, the original small second temple was standing from the 500s BCE, so constructed not terribly long after the first one was destroyed. I don't want to be annoying. You're not. But you just seem like you might actually like to know that. So, yeah, that's really useful information. I was wondering why there was this whole movement about, you know, temple practice when there was no temple, and it turns out there was a temple. It just wasn't the big one that we tend to think of as the second temple. Mm. Do you have feelings about that, Jazz? Mostly my feelings about this are that I really don't know enough about this period of history. (laughs) Okay, me either. And I would like to get clearer in general on the timeline of, like, when everything happened, and who the different people are. And I understand that it's a little confusing because some things are less known than other things. Mm -hmm. But definitely there are some things that we just do know the answer to, but that we does not include me because I don't know the answer to them. (laughs) And I would like to know that more. It's a type of research that I didn't do when preparing as much for this season. I did more research about what are the prophets and what do they mean Mm, and what are the sort of theological implications of it, which is the same kind of research I did for season one. And I didn't really fully internalize that this one brings us into much more concrete history (laughs) than the Torah does. And that looking at Nevi'im and Ketuvim can be more concretely tied to actual dates and not just mythology. Which is wild. Because we go from this totally mythological period of, like, the Exodus, where there aren't really contemporary Egyptian records of any Israelite Exodus, Mm -hmm. and the 40 years in the desert seem to be pretty metaphorical. And then we come into this part of concrete history where you have a literal order of kings in both of the countries. Right. So that's a really fun change between Torah and Nevi'im and Ketuvim. Yeah, so that's cool and fascinating (laughs) and research that we should be doing more of or that I will own that I would like to be doing more of. It's a growing edge for the podcast. Yeah. So our second bit comes from Ezra. It is not a correction, but more of an addition. This one's a little more in my wheelhouse. I love this. Okay. So Ezra was leveling the audio for episode 57 and thought while listening to it that Hosea 13.14 is a super ambiguous verse. The way the line is written in Hebrew can either mean that Hashem is going to rescue the people or do the complete opposite and destroy them. They cite the translation on Chabad of, From the clutches of the grave I would ransom them. From death I would redeem them. I will be your words of death. I will decree the grave upon you. Remorse shall be hidden from my eyes. Great. And you said that's 1314, which is cool because, like, if you look at the line on Safaria, (laughs) they have that rendered as, From Shaul itself I will save them, redeem them from very death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Your pestilence where, (laughs) O Shaul? Revenge shall be far from my thoughts. Wow. So that, yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. So Ezra says, I'm pretty sure medieval commentators, as well as modern ones, are split on which translation is the truest. However, Christian Bibles maintain the more positive-sounding translation, and it's quoted in the New Testament. Either way, this is a pretty wild verse, colon capital D. So thanks, Ezra, for pointing that out, and for your smiley face, as profane as its lack of nose may be. 
This is great. I really appreciate the note that it's ambiguous in the Hebrew because there just are lines like that. We know that there's stuff like that in English. <laughs> Sometimes you come across a word. My favorite are like auto antonyms, like the word cleave, which can mean like to cut something in half or to bring two things together. Mm -hmm. And I love that this is like, does it mean you're going to be rescued? Does it mean you're going to be killed? We just don't know. And the Lord was chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Can you take us to the close? Yeah. Thanks for listening to Kosher Queers. If you like what you've heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kosherqueers, which will give you bonus content and help us keep making this for you. It'll give you bonus content every week now, y'all. We <laughs> are doing a great job. <laughs> we did not do quite as regular bonus content in our first season, but we do have it up now and I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, we figured out a fun game to play for three minutes every week. Yeah. Also, if you can't commit to ongoing support but would still like to contribute, you can give to our Kofi, which is at ko-fi.com slash kosherqueers. You can also follow us on Twitter at kosherqueers or like us on Facebook at kosherqueers or email us your questions, comments, and concerns at kosherqueers at gmail.com. And please spread the word about our podcast. You can check us out at kosherqueers.gay. Our artwork is by the talented Lior Gross. Our music is courtesy of the fabulous band Brivola, whose work you can find on Bandcamp. Go by their album. They're great. Our sound production this week is done by our excellent audio editor, Ezra Faust. Our transcript team of Jazz, Ruben, Dico, and Chesed brings you full transcripts of every episode. You can find a link to those in the episode descriptions on kosherqueers.gay. I'm Jazz Twersky, and you can find me at WordNerdKnitter on Twitter. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Lenape people. I'm Lila Varno, and you can find me at Spacetrek6 on Twitter, or yell at me at Palmlaker. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Wapaikute and Anishinaabeg. I did just want to give one last shout out, because I mentioned Shahar's birthday party, but I did not mention the fact that Shahar and Benji were doing transcriptions at night, and <laughs> we couldn't do it without them. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Benji. Okay, have a lovely Queer Jewish day! This week's gender is living in a failed state. This week's pronouns are Thon, Fen, Thor.